0: Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Den. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. I want you to take your Bibles this morning. And I want you to turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 18. You can go to Matthew chapter eighteen if you have notes and you can have your your program there, you see there's several passages of scripture that you will be that I'm going to be going to this morning. If you have those, you can go to Matthew chapter twenty eight Matthew chapter seven and Luke chapter 14. we're going to all of those things. I'm going to preach really fast this morning because I've got a lot to say but I'm going to be beginning a new series today entitled 10 marks of a disciple, or X. The marks of a disciple. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 begins by saying these, And then Jesus came to them and He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Therefore go and, everybody say this, Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Can I just tell you that putting your faith in Jesus Christ is the greatest decision that anybody will ever make in their life. But following Jesus as the Lord of their life is the greatest adventure anyone can ever take in their life. And I want you to understand, those are two different things. The reason why so many people who claim to know Jesus have a boring, unexciting, unfulfilled relationship with him is, be, is, is tied to that very statement. The reason why so many Christians have a lack of dynamic and the thrill and the excitement of serving Jesus is because they have only made decisions, but they have not decided to become a disciple. It really comes down to this. What most people in America recognize as a Christian falls far short of what the Bible's definition gives us. And we see it here in these verses. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is finishing up, making his final statements to his disciples as he has already been on the cross. He's risen from the dead. He is about to ascend into heaven and he's laying out plans. He's, he's laying out their, the strategy for the church. And he tells them, he says, Don't just tell people to believe in a story. Don't just have people hear about me. Don't, don't just tell them the story and believe it. Have them become a part of the story. Don't make converts, make disciples. Don't seek decisions, seek disciples. You know, that's really the goal of our church. We are not about coming here to draw a crowd and to build a crowd. If you came in search of a crowd this morning, you can look around and see that we're not a very large crowd. But One thing that our church is built upon in our statements of, of purpose is not we're going to try to be the biggest church in town. Our church is not trying to build big big auditoriums, but our church is about building big people. We're not about trying to grow a room full of just decision makers. We want to grow a room full of disciples who follow Jesus as not just their Savior, but follow Jesus as their Lord. And this is an important, important series that I'm preaching to you because the Lord has laid this on my heart that we need to move into that place And understand the difference between making a decision to follow Jesus and following Jesus as a disciple. Now I want you to know, to be a disciple, absolutely, it certainly begins with a decision. When you decide that sin has wrecked your life enough, when you decide that you have gone up the wall enough times when you finally decide that you need a Savior, what you do is you say, you know what, I don't want hell as a permanent vacation home. You seek a Savior. You come to Jesus. Jesus is not just your best option. He becomes your only option. In Romans chapter 10 Paul gives us the instruction. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you will be saved. You don't earn it. You can't achieve it. You don't even deserve it. But He comes into your life and he sets you free from your past and from your sin and He gives you something new. You become a new creation. You are born again because you decided that Jesus was the only answer to your dilemma. It's the number one requirement to being a disciple. You have to make a decision to choose Christ. He already chose you. You need to choose Him. But there is more to the story than just a decision. Not too long ago, I preached a few messages Out of Matthew chapter 5, in the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. I love trying to piggyback on the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. I love trying to preach Jesus' sermon over again. Matthew chapter 5, you know know what it is. It begins with the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. He sits everybody down and he begins this, this incredible sermon with this word, Blessed! Nine times in a row, Jesus... Begins with that word. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. And after you hear blessed, blessed, blessed over and over. The crowd is now back there with their hand raised. Sign me up. I'm into that blessing stuff. I like that kind of preaching. Keep preaching it, preacher. But The Sermon on the Mount does not end there. He goes through a lot of different things and addresses a lot of issues, and he finally wraps it up in Matthew chapter 7. And that's what I call the warning label of the Sermon on the Mount. Anybody know and read any warning labels? We have a hair dryer that's been dropped on the floor more times than I can count. It's in pieces that sits on our kitchen or on our bathroom sink. It's got wires that are coming out the side. And it's right by my sink, about two inches from falling in to where I shave and brush my teeth. There's this huge red and yellow tag right next to the plug-in. And as I was brushing my teeth... This morning, I looked at that thing as the hair running. We don't have a heater, so we use a hair dryer in my bathroom. And so I'm letting that thing blow, and I'm brushing my teeth. Hazard! Keep away from water! As water begins to splash upon my broken, busted hair dryer. Now, you laugh, but I want you to know, all of the warning labels that you get, you don't read them. Anybody ever read the label on the bottom of your mattress? I didn't think so. Have you read the warning label that's attached to the edge of your pillow? No, because you tore them off already. In the end of Matthew chapter 7, we have the warning label to the Sermon on the Mount. It It is a warning label because it reminds us of something that's important, but it usually goes unread. And I want to read it to you because, honestly, it is a... Difficult thing to read, Matthew chapter seven verse twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, "Lord, Lord," will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that kind of stirs the hair on the back of your neck a little bit. But only he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. He gets more specific in verse twenty two. Many will say to me on that day, "Lord, Lord." Did we not prophesy in your name? Man, they sound like spiritual people. Sounds like a spirit-filled church to me. Did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, drive out demons? Now that's a step up. I mean, like you're going to a different level here. And even perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. What's Jesus saying? He's saying there is going to be people who will stand before him who will be emotional about their faith about the decision that they have made. They will be even active in ministry. They may be active in in serving. They may perform even miracles. There's going to be things that they have done that will be just amazing, but they will have no relationship with Him in their heart. If that was the case for many who are religious, just imagine what the case would be for those who were nominal in their faith. Who don't even take it serious at all. The warning label to the people who stood on that hillside As Jesus spoke those words of the Sermon on the Mount. The warning label was to them was. Don't make the mistake. That an occasional emotional uh, a, a decision. Or even a regular church attender. Or effective service means real relationship with me. Don't make that mistake. Don't allow that to be told to you. Because the distinction between a decision and a disciple is very evident. And in the American church, we need to read that warning label again. George Barna said that 9 out of 10 Americans believe that Jesus was a real man. Truly did walk the earth. His name was Jesus. He lived in Palestine, Israel. But only four out of ten of those people, of all the people that were surveyed, only four out of ten of them have ever had an experience, a born-again experience that transformed their life where they confess being saved and Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Only four in ten Americans. Even then, if you ask a lot of Christians, you could probably talk to friends or people that you know. If you were to ask some of your Christian friends and you say, Hey, tell me about your hopes and dreams. What you're probably going to hear is about their careers or a marriage or a relationship. Are you going to hear about money or future travel or vacations they want to take? But you won't hear very much about fulfilling God's purpose for their life or His will. Few people in America, right here in Denton, Texas, that's got a church on every corner, would probably rank knowing, loving, and following Jesus as their number one priority. You see, there's a difference between being a decision maker and a disciple. There's a difference between believers and disciples. Just believe in the story. And I want to give those to you. If you're taking notes... You can go back and watch it. But here's what I want you to see. A believer in Jesus, a believer believes in Jesus as Savior, but lives to please themselves. A disciple believes in Jesus as Lord and lives to please God. That's a huge difference. You catch that difference? Some people just want fire insurance. They want a Savior, but they don't want to follow, they don't want to be a disciple. I want to I want to know about Jesus but I don't want to go too far you know I mean that's that, that I've seen that I've seen that happen in marriages Where the husband is a reprobate. Man, he is out, he is, he's out filling up the town. The mother's at home. She comes, she shows up to church, and she says, Pastor, please pray that my husband would get saved. He needs to be in church. And you know what happens? God does that, and he brings him in and saves him, cleans him up, frees him from from addictions and alcohol and drugs. And he comes in, and all of a sudden, this woman who said, Oh, Pastor, I want to see my husband come to Jesus and know I'm saved. All of a sudden, she gets this bitter spirit. And the reason why is she's like, you know what? I wanted the Lord to really to, to, to take care of him, but I didn't want the Lord to save him enough that it would start affecting my life. I, I mean, I, I don't want God to get carried away with him too much, because then it would have to affect me. A believer exalts their opinions, feelings, and thoughts above the Word of God. A disciple exalts the word of God above their opinions, feelings, and thoughts. A believer thinks of church as a place where they go to hear what God's word says. But a disciple thinks of church as a place where they learn to do what God's word says. A believer Believers are accountable only to themselves, but disciples are accountable to everyone. Their life is responsible to everyone. A believer serves God based on convenience, but disciples serve God based on conviction. Huge difference there. Believers seek to know God through religion, but disciples seek to know God through relationships. Believers follow God as long as everything is going well. But a disciple follows God regardless of their circumstances. Boy, how do we see that? Believers choose their own path and ask God to bless it. But disciples ask God to choose the path and follow His direction. Believers are full of pride if they're doing well and self-pity if they're not a disciple is full of gratitude because God's love never fails. A believer follows the example of the world and seeks to go higher, but a disciple follows the example of Jesus and seeks to go lower. I want you to just think about those. And I want you to ask yourself where am I? Which one of those hit me the hardest? If any. I believe that the order, in order for us to become and to move beyond believers or decision makers to disciples begins with one specific quality. I'm going to be sharing ten of those over the course of this year. The first quality that you need to understand that moves you into becoming a true disciple of Christ, a follower of Jesus, that that... that defines what i just read those differences is that a disciple is passionately committed to jesus i remember things in my life that i've been passionate about over the course of years i'm very eclectic when it comes to things sometimes there's been times and shannon can Tell me, there's been times when I've been super passionate about football. We got any passionate football fans in the room it's okay it's okay it's all right, even if you're passionate about the cowboys it's okay. you can raise your hand it's all right it's yeah, I saw some of you well, okay, you know, may God help you tomorrow okay is all I can say playing the goat. How many of you are passionate about food? any foodies in the room you got some Foodies. Don is a chef back here. The dude can cook anything. And Daniel over here, he's not a chef, but he can eat anything and will. Alright? There's a difference. Foodies. Like to make it, like to eat it. I'm kind of the guy that I'd just rather eat it than make it. There's been times in my life I've been passionate about sports, been passionate about food, been passionate about music. Any music lovers in the room? What's your favorite music? Who likes classical? Who's some classical fans in the room? Yeah? How about jazz? Any jazz lovers? How about some 80s, good 80s music? It's okay. You can raise your hand. It's not, you know, it's not like, oh my Lord. How about Southern gospel? Any Southern gospel? Any 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 uh, any soul and and uh, gospel, gospel, praise and worship? Acapella? Some of you just keep your hand up, you just love music, you just playing music. Passionate about all kinds of R and B rap. I, I want to see you. Rap, raise your hand. I want to see you. I want to see One, two, three. Yeah, we've got some. Are you serious? You? Really? That's a shocker. Oh, yeah. How many of you like a little bit of thrash? A little. doesn't matter what they say because you can't understand them anywhere. yeah, I remember when, when Christian Metal came out. I walked through the house, I was playing some, because back in those days, you know, we had our own little Walkman's things, and it had a little speaker on it. Walking through, the- Dad's like, my God, son, what is that? What's he saying? I said, I don't know, Dad, but it's good. <laughs> yeah, rock on. What would you do if Jesus were to ask you, of all the things you are passionate about, of all those things, are you as passionate about, about me as you are blank? Because your passion becomes apparent because your passions begin to unfold into your lifestyle. How many times has, have you gone to church and honestly, you weren't passionate about being in church? You showed up with your hands in your pocket. And the music started and you just kind of tried to count the ceiling tiles on the ceiling. 13, 15. Oh, they need to fix that one. It's got to leak. And all the while, music's playing their worship of the Lord, and then the preaching starts, and you're just like... Maybe some of you are doing that right now. He's just in his intro. What is this going to be? You go home so that you can leave church and become passionate about whatever you're passionate about. Oh, yes. Didn't miss much of the game. You see, that's Passion. Passion is a strong or extravagant feeling towards something and emotion that motivates you beyond average living. Careers, sports, hobbies. Many times we're not passionate about Jesus. Let's be honest. We're not. We we, we lose that motivation. Let's go. What would your life be like if you were 100% passionate for Jesus? What would that look like? What would this church look like if it was filled today with people who were 100% passionate about Jesus? Every person. What would our time of worship been like? Wow. What would that have been like? Passion just oozing out the doors of people. Just, Man, I'm so glad I'm here. I'm so thankful that, that the Lord's presence met me here. What if everyone was like that when we came to church? My prayer is that I hope that, that I get to see that. I think I've been there. I've been in some of those services where everybody that walked in, I think, was pretty passionate about what they were going to be there for. They were motivated. They were just like, man, I am going to meet with the Jesus tonight. I am going to worship. I'm going to praise. And I'm going to amen the preacher down because I am passionate about Jesus. Let me just give you some indicators, and I'm going to move through them real quickly, of whether you're passionate or not they're pretty apparent in Luke chapter 14 flip over there it's going to be the last scripture that we'll go through Jesus has been invited his his sermon on the mount's over with he's been invited to eat at the house of this ruler of the pharisees he's already he just healed a man and and these pharisees they want to challenge him on whether it's right for him to heal on a sabbath or not what a what a, a majoring on the minors right and so he gives these two parables one's about a wedding feast And one's about a great banquet. And what he's trying to do is he's wanting to help them understand who it is that's going to be welcomed into the kingdom of God. Now remember, he's already done a lot of miracles and he's already fed 5,000 and different occasions. Remember that feeding of the 5,000? And he stepped up on the side of the hill. They're all hungry. Is was after the Sermon on the Mount. He's, they're, they're all following him. And, and they're waiting. To, to. Jesus looks at him, And he looks at Philip. And he says, hey, how are we going to feed all these people? And he's like, wait, I have no idea. And they bring in, They bring this little boy. You know, he's got the loaves and the fish. And you know the story. And what does Jesus do? He has them sit down in groups. And he hands it to the disciples. The disciples begin to break it. And as old Peter and John, they start passing out that bread. They realize that what's in their left hand just stays in their left hand. It just... Just multiplies. They keep breaking it off. And the same thing with the fish. You know, here's your eyeball. Here's another eyeball. Here's another. Wait, three eyeballs. How's that work out? You know, and they're just passing out that fish, you know, giving it away. And Jesus becomes the guy of fish and chips. Man, you go see Jesus, man. You go out there. Jesus will. He, he provided fish and chips for everybody that came out the last sermon that he preached. Go try it. Let's see. Maybe it'll be, you know, ice cream and chocolate cake next time. I feel the anointing when I said that. But in Luke chapter 14, he's talking about this. And remember, he's got this reputation. He's the fish and ships preacher. Luke 14, he begins in verse 26. He says, if anyone comes to me, I'm so glad that Jesus says anyone, because it doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from, what your past looks like. It doesn't matter what sin you've ever committed. It doesn't matter what you've ever done or even whether, you're, whether you, you, you are struggling right now to break things that, are, that, have, that have hooks in your life. I want you to know anyone who comes to Jesus can find forgiveness and freedom in His name. Anyone who comes to me, He says, and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers, And sisters, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. I wish I could have seen and taken a picture of the disciples as Jesus let this out the bag. Without a doubt, Jesus was the absolute worst marketing strategist that has ever walked the planet. I can see Peter, as Jesus makes the statement, he comes up to him, Lord, what are you doing? We were drawing huge crowds. This is no way to grow a church. Take it back. Say that you misspoke. There's a lot of that going on. Oh, I, I misspoke. I mean, Jesus, we promised everybody that they would show up today, the, the big crowds. We promised we, we promised that everybody would get a fish basket if they'd just all come. That's how we're growing this church. And Jesus says, no, 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 Peter, I didn't misspeak. You see, what Jesus knew was he knew that you don't change the world the world with a big crowd, but you change the world with big people. And the first indicator to know that you are passionately committed to Jesus is that when, you are, that when pleasing God becomes the first priority in your life. If anybody comes to me and does not hate, what a tough word. How many of you have said hate this week? We don't even allow that in our house. And does not hate his mother, his father, his sister's brother's Even himself, don't hate your family, even his own life. Let me tell you, Jesus was not creating a a, a positive family environment by his message. But it wasn't hate in the way that we think of hate. He was using it as a comparative to other relationships that we have. Matthew gives it a little bit clearer. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, he says, Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. If there is any relationship in your life that is more important than your relationship with Jesus, then you cannot be a disciple. Those are the words of your Lord. When Shannon and I first started dating... It was back in the days when you didn't have cell phones and you weren't free to walk everywhere you wanted to go. We had phones that had cords, young people. They were little curly things that attached you to the wall or a location. And if you were real big time, you had a cordless phone that had an antenna about that long. You had to watch where you went if you walked through the doorway because you'd slap somebody with, in the face with an antenna. But I remember when Shannon and I were dating, we'd call each other on the phone. It'd be the last thing. I was like, I want to hear your voice. The last thing I do before I go to sleep. And we talked for a long for hours. How you doing? Okay, I gotta go to bed. And she'd say, Well, just hang up, and I'd say, No you. What are you doing? Those relationships have to take a back seat. I can honestly say that this morning, as she's totally embarrassed, my wife is not first in my life. She can't be. She can't be because I can't love her the way I need to love her if she's first. I can't love my children the way I need to love them. I can't treat them the way I need to treat them if they're first in my life. If they're the ones calling the shots. I can't do that because if I'm in love with Jesus, it affects every relationship that I have. Because if I'm passionately committed to Jesus, it will absolutely affect my marriage and the relationship that I have with my kids. Because a real disciple, a follower of Jesus, is when I, when I say, Lord, I want to please you more than please anyone else unless you love him above all other relationships other activities other pursuits you can't be his disciple you can't say i follow jesus if your love is somewhere else it's a difference between a decision a believer or a decision maker and a true disciple second thing is that is you know there you are passionately committed when you are willing to follow him regardless of the cost Look at verse 27. He says, and anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I mean, I want you to think about this crowd. It's got whiplash. They're just trying to wrap their head around this hate your mother and your father thing. And then Jesus says, Jesus drops this line on them. And he says, hey, if you don't carry your cross, you can't be my disciple. We don't really make that connection because what we do in our world today is we use crosses as decorations. People put crosses as tattoos, you know, all over their body. Hey, they've got a cross, you know, this whole back. It's just one big cross. But the people that first heard this, when Jesus says he doesn't take up their cross, they were horrified. They were horrified because the cross was not something glorious. It was shocking to them. It was a place of shame. It was, a place of, it was a place of torment. It was a place of torture. It wasn't anything you wanted to be close to or near. Most of these people who heard Jesus that day, they had seen a crucifixion and they don't want to go back and see it. I mean, us tattooing crosses ought to be like tattooing an electric chair on your back. Or like death row. Hey, check out my new tat. You like that? Yeah, I had him do 220 instead of 110. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just like what you would say, man, that's weird. That's exactly how it felt when Jesus said, if you don't take up your cross, what's he saying? He's saying, if you don't die to your old way of life, you can't be my disciple. If you don't crucify yourself on that cross. I love what A.W. Tozer says. He says, a person on a cross faces only one direction. They have no way to look behind them. They can only look forward. That's what a cross does to you. It faces you in one direction. And as long as you stay upon that cross, you're only looking in the direction that Jesus wants you to go. That's pretty good. Somebody ought to name an amen on that one. Matthew chapter 10, verse 39 says, Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Galatians 2.20 says, If you've been crucified with Christ, you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. I asked a pastor one time in a, in a country where it was illegal to be a Christian. I said, well, how do you deal with nominal Christians? And he looked at me with this weird look in his face. And he was like, oh, Pastor Scott. He said, you don't understand. He said, when people come to Jesus in our country, usually they lose their business because it gets burned down, whether they have a cart or whether they have a store. It gets burned down and they are, and they are discarded from their family like yesterday's garbage. He said, we don't have nominal Christians in our country. There's no such thing as as take it or leave it kind of Christianity. There's no such thing as walking the fence kind of Christianity. Jesus says, if you can't bear your cross, if if you can't bear that, if you can't load up underneath it and follow Him regardless of the cost that it's going to cost you, you can't be my disciple. You have passion to be a disciple when you're willing to follow him regardless of the cost. Look at verse 33. I'm going to wrap up. Daniel, if you get ready to come. Verse 33, it says, In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus spoke to this. I mean, this is, this is almost too much. I remember when the Lord called me, changed my whole direction. Some of you know the story. I was planning to go to medical school at the University of Oklahoma, had everything ready. I was was already in. And God says, that's not your direction. And so He changed everything about me. And, And let me tell you something, making that decision to follow that because it was a part of the cross that I had to bear. It may not be yours, but it was part of mine. And I had to walk with that cross because it was a major thing to get up on that cross and not look back. When I had to call them and say, Hey, I want you to pull my admission. I'm going a different direction. It's like the rich young ruler, Jesus said, Look, you've you've got to do this. What do you what do I need to do? And he asked Jesus, and Jesus says, You gotta love the Lord, keep his commandments, and he says, Well, I've done all those. But what Jesus comes back with is, he says, yeah, but there's one thing. You know what I've noticed about many of us? We all have that one thing, don't we? We all just have that one thing. God, I can give you everything, but I can't give you that because one thing. I mean, that's that's my life. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. That's what I live for. So your passion, passion tells you that if you're, when you can can follow him and and regardless of the cost, when that happens, you can give up that one thing. You're a true disciple. He goes on and he talks about this and I'm going to just hustle through this. He finally says, he gives in verse 28 and in verse 31, he gives two different parables. I'm not going to read them for sake of time this morning. He talks about the cost of becoming a disciple. Then he also talks about the cost of not becoming a disciple. And that's what he talks about in verse 31. You can read it on your own time. But what he shows us is something important. And this is the last point I want to make. It's not just about following, knowing the cost. And it's not just about putting priority on his relationship in your life but it's about this you know you are passionate about the lord and you're passionately committed when everything you do becomes extraordinary wow pastor what does that mean you see when you're passionate about something you won't settle for ordinary anymore mediocre just makes you nauseous right when you've ever experienced something fantastic and extraordinary, you don't want to go back to ordinary. Status quo is not appealing anymore. You don't want to just attend church, but you want to passionately seek His presence. You just want, you don't want to just go somewhere just to be going on a Sunday morning. You don't want to just pray. You don't want to just you know hear a message. You don't want to just sing a song. You want to. Not just fit Jesus into your schedule. You want to fill your life with Him. And that's what it means to to follow and be passionate about Jesus. Everything in your life becomes extraordinary. You begin to pray in an extraordinary way. You begin to read the Bible in an extraordinary way. You begin to serve in an extraordinary way. There is an extraordinary smile that shows up on your face. Something inside of you, there is an extraordinary joy that just begins to overflow out of your heart. It transforms you. But you think about your life. Think about your job. we work our jobs. We we live like a lot of everybody else. You know, you get your, your daily input from social media. You find out how well you're ranking in your life according to your social media accounts. Some of you are on social media, you know what I'm talking about. Oh man, they had such a great vacation. Man, I wish I could do I want to do better next year. That way I can compete with the Jones. You know, take all those pretty pictures. You know what I'm talking about. That's not an extraordinary life. Extraordinary life only comes when you're passionate about Jesus. As Jesus says, this is extraordinary life. Peter says, you become a, a, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. People of God don't just blend into the world. They fill it with color. And that's what God wants you to do. A disciple fills the world around it with color. There's enough enough black and white uh, monotone in our world. What this world needs is some people who will fill their job and their family and their schools with a little bit of God's coloring. You could say it like this. We become the salt of the earth and we begin to put flavor in everything around us. I want to read something to you. I want you to stand with me this morning as we close. Dr. Bob Moorhead was a missionary in Africa in a country where his The challenge of of serving God was was life or death. This man wrote some things down, and his son, Dr. Moorhead's son, found it. This man was later murdered because of his faith in God. And this is what he wrote. He wrote this. He said, I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die is cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of His. I won't look back. I won't let up. I won't slow down. I won't back away. And I won't be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. And my future is secure. I'm finished with low living, with sight walking, with small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I'm no longer in need of preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudity, or popularity. I don't have the right, the first, the tops to be recognized, to be praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith and I live on His presence. I walk in His patience. I'm uplifted by prayer and the labor of His power. My place has been set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way may be rough but my companion, and my companions few, but my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought. I cannot be compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice. I will not hesitate in the presence of an adversary. I will not negotiate at the enemy of, at the table of an enemy. I will not pander at the pool of popularity or meander around the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I've, stor- I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes. Give till I drop, preach till all I know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he'll have no problem recognizing me because my banner of a disciple will be clear to him. I want to be a disciple. Not just a decision maker. I want to be a disciple who's passionately committed to Jesus thanks for listening to this message if you are blessed by this ministry we want to encourage you to share it and if you don't have a church home come join us any Sunday at 1030